0: When we meet Luann in season one of Real Housewives of New York, she's this beautiful statuesque woman. She was in the Miss Connecticut beauty pageant back in the day.
1: I think it's really important, you know, to be young and youthful. You know, and not just by the way you look, but by the way you feel and the way you think.
0: She's refined, she's poised, she steps out of limos a lot. And she's married to a count— Count Alexander de Lesseps.
1: If you marry a count, you become a countess, which, you know, there's a whole prince, princess, duke, duchess, it's kind of this echelon of the aristocracy. So when I married Alex, I became a countess. Did I mean,
0: a countess. Yes, thank you, Bravo, for bringing this ridiculous woman into my life. That first season, or first couple of seasons, show Luann 1.0. The Luann that is very into manners says darling a lot. Even though she's a working-class Connecticut girl at heart, you would never know it. She speaks old money fluently. For example, do not dare invite her to a party where she cooks her own food.
1: But I don't want to stay. You know, there's nothing worse than eight women learning how to cook. Ramona, you know, she's a nice woman. She has a different group of friends than I do, but I see them at various, you know, parties. It's a different circle, but I don't dislike them. I just, you know, I'm not a big fan of cooking parties. That's all.
0: If this Luann sounds foreign to anyone listening, it's because this is not the Luann we know today. I'll call that Luann, Luann 2.0.
1: Money can't buy your class. Money can't buy your class, elegance is learned, my friends.
0: She's the cabaret star who sells out shows across the country. She's the Luann who spent the night in jail after assaulting a police officer while blackout drunk. The Luann who got sober, that had sex with a pirate. I mean, this Luann, this is the Luann I love. And if you want to isolate the turning point, it was basically this moment in season two.
2: Luann, obviously you've been in the headlines because uh, recently uh, news broke that you and the Count are no more. And how are you doing?
1: I'm doing okay. It's been, you know, really difficult after you've been married for 16 years to someone. um, To get an email is really upsetting. You know, we've been separated and having problems, but to get an email saying that, you know, I have somebody else was a real shocker for me.
0: Honestly, I was shook, too. But that's what makes The Real Housewives such a genius concept, right? Seeing their ups and downs over the years is the point. Luann went from dripping condescension to a night in jail, from having a trophy husband to being dumped in an email.
2: The Housewives almost has become the new soap opera, in a way.
0: That's the creator of the entire Real Housewives franchise, Scott Dunlop, being interviewed on a local public access show.
2: The women don't always get along, um, but you're able to to look into their lives in a way that is unfiltered. It's unscripted. So you don't know. There there creates great jeopardy in knowing where the, the story will go.
0: The idea of the docu-soap wasn't new. There were shows like Laguna Beach on MTV that let you into the day-to-day lives of rich teens. But Real Housewives perfected it. It also tapped into what was fascinating to viewers at the time. Desperate Housewives was the number one scripted show on television. People wanted to see the dark stuff behind the Pleasantville perfect exterior. And let's be real, we all want to know what rich people are doing— The people with the houses with the big gates around them or hedges blocking you out. You're like, what do they do for a living? How many cars do they own? You want to get to the bottom of it. And Real Housewives did that in a novel way. America wasn't used to seeing rich women talk about their money or their marital problems or their alcoholism. I thought the rich made people sign NDAs and bury their feelings. Not these housewives. And that's what we're talking about in this episode. That wealthy women of a certain age bearing it all is anything but trash. It's a treasure. I'm Mariah Smith, and this is Spectacle, an unscripted history of reality TV. This is episode five, Behind the Gates with the Real Housewives. Let's take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsors.
2: Welcome to True Spies, the podcast that takes you deep inside the greatest secret missions of all time. Suddenly, out of the dark, it's appeared Bin Laden. You'll meet the people who live life undercover. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Vengeance felt good seeing these people pay for what they'd done. Righteous. True spies from Spyscape Studios, wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own
1: desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to
0: podcasts. So let's turn on the Bravo app and go to the very beginning, where it all started, with The Real Housewives of Orange County. The opening credits roll. You're immediately struck by wealth, like a two-by-four hit you.
3: Life is different in a gated community.
4: The land here is a million an acre. The average price house
0: is to two. It's like, man, these people really want you to know how rich they are. There's B-roll of McMansions, these seemingly identical beige homes lining the hills. When you're not behind the gates, you don't know what you're missing. Breast implants are graduation gifts. There's also a lot of lipo, filler, and, of course, Botox parties. In Orange County, people just don't grow old. So
3: Botox is one
5: of those avenues to stay that way.
4: Branda, hold my Okay, Lift your eyebrows up for me and relax. Okay, now make it real limp. And here comes your first injection.
0: It's not all that surprising that the franchise started in the OC. At the time, Orange County was in the zeitgeist, There was The O.C., a scripted series on Fox, set in Newport Beach. The MTV series Laguna Beach was popular. But unlike those scenic coastal locations, that first season of The Real Housewives of Orange County was set in the burbs. But fancy burbs. In Coto de Casa, where owning at least four cars is the norm, and riding your horse to your neighbor's house isn't weird at all. Creator Scott Dunlop lived in Coto for 19 plus years, and it just kind of hit him one day. Maybe there's a show here.
2: And in Coto, it's a bedroom community where all the men traditionally leave and the women are left on the ranch to kind of run wild. And so their stories were authentic stories.
0: He pitched it to Bravo. Their audience were high earners with college degrees, and the network was a couple of years into trying its hand at unscripted TV with shows like Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. Maybe rich people would want to see into the lives of other rich people. It's sort of like if Keeping Up with the Joneses was a TV show.
2: You know, there's people who say it's destructive to the the social fabric. You've heard that. You've oh, heard of course. All uh, we've all heard that. I think what, what I would say about the show is you can love the show, you can dislike the show, but you cannot ignore the show.
0: And despite Bravo calling them housewives, most of these women worked outside of the home. Here's Vulture writer and Housewives historian Brian Moylan.
5: The first season, it just kind of shows them going about their lives. They're, Vicki Gumbleson owns a insurance brokerage, and she's selling insurance out of her home, and Lori Waring works for her, and Jenna Keo is a former Playboy playmate who is a real estate broker.
0: That first season had five quote-unquote housewives. Vicki, Gina, Joe, Lori, and Kimberly. Most were moms who ran in the same circles, and the show followed their day-to-day lives.
4: Hi, Kathy. Vicky Gunkelson. Just wanted to follow up with you regarding midgets. Mom. Mom, but my appointment's in three minutes. You know what? You're going to be late. So, can you come with me? Can I come with you? Okay, I'll bring my laptop in the car. My children really don't know how hard I work, and I want them to know that their mom did their best to get them where they're at.
0: Mom, my appointment's in a minute. All these women were hustling to provide for their kids. There's something endearing about that. Also, from what we can tell, most of the OC ladies didn't come from money. Vicky talks about struggling as a single mom, starting her own business to support her family. I married very young. I was 21 years old. I was a young mom by the time I was almost 24.
4: I don't regret it. I wouldn't do it any differently. But I want more for Brianna.
0: Now, we kind of know the franchise for the drama, the fights. But back in the beginning, the women seemed naive to what the cameras were capturing. The first episode feels a lot like an extended audition tape, but it's still produced. Bravo is steering you. This steering actually has a name in the Bravo-verse. It's called the Bravo Wink. Andy Cohen explained it to New York Magazine like this. He said, "'Ultimately, it's not my job to judge the housewives. We don't editorialize the show. We really leave it to the audience.'" We have a certain wink, which is the Bravo wink. We may linger on a shot or we may let something play out longer, but we leave it to you. We see that in season one with Gina and Vicky, and the show juxtaposes their kids, both seniors, in a
5: cheeky way. Shane Keogh is graduating from high school and he's gonna go on to, to be a minor league baseball player. And he's not going to graduation. It kind of shows him sitting in the pool in a floaty, not doing anything. That's Brian again.
0: This is why there's a campy slapstick quality to the series. The way they cut the show, it makes you laugh.
5: They're cross-cutting that with Vicki Gumbelson's daughter, Brianna, who is graduating from high school. And so it's showing like, here's this loser at home by himself not doing anything. And here's this girl who's graduating and how happy everybody is. And so it's showing their real lives, but it's showing that we're in on the joke. So in Orange County, there's a lot of
0: new money. But in New York, home of the second oldest franchise, there's money and then there's class.
6: But with The Real Housewives in New York, you really start seeing, you know, these sort of subtle um, hierarchies and competitions between the women. And so a scene I always think about is in season one where Luann and Bethany
0: are going out somewhere and they get into a car. And Bethany introduces the driver. And she's like, Trevor, this is Luann. Luann, this is Trevor. And Luann is so obviously uncomfortable, like physically uncomfortable. Here's my producer, Joanna, again. So,
3: we should first set up Bethany and Luann.
0: Yes. So, back in season one, Bethany is struggling. She's young, she's single, living in this tiny New York apartment, as one does. And Luann kind of wants to take Bethany under her wing.
3: Yeah, I think Luann sort of sees Bethany as the underdog, and she's kind of showing her the ropes of New York society.
0: True, and Luann is reminding you she's a countess like every 30 seconds, but I unfortunately am here for it. I mean, I live for a princess, a countess, a duchess, anything that's technically not real here, but bound to make for good television.
3: Same. And if people are wondering, her husband, Alex, the Count, he's French, and his family, I guess, is famous because they helped in giving the Statue of Liberty to the United States. So this scene in particular is from season one of New York, which came out in March of 2008, so a couple years after Orange
0: County. It's episode six, Girls' Night Out, and Bethany and Luann are going to dinner.
4: This is Luann. This is Clever.
1: Hi. Hi, how are you? Oh, I totally felt awkward being introduced to the driver as Luann. I'm not used to that. Um, if you introduce me to, like, a driver, it's like, <laughs> you know, like oh, kids... S- Oh, oh, it's like a level of respect? Yeah, it's a level of respect. Oh, really? My husband would actually be like, oh my God. Is
5: this real? Do you really care what a driver calls you? And I said, I
0: did not have the Countess Handbook. Countess Handbook. That's hilarious because the Countess will go on to write a handbook. So, touche, Bethany. This is Raquel Gates, You've heard her in past episodes. She teaches reality TV at the
6: College of Staten Island, CUNY. And, you know, Bethany kind of runs with that and just clowns Luann for the next couple of minutes, poking fun at her pretentiousness. For me, that scene is so much about Luann insisting on a certain type of class divide and a recognition of that class divide.
0: Luann is like, I am rich, like aristocracy rich. I am above this driver and honestly, above you too, Bethany. Please note. And what's simultaneously funny and tragic about looking back at this moment, we all know how the tables will turn, how Luann won't be a countess for long. Bethany will quickly climb the ladder, becoming one of the wealthiest housewives ever. We'll see her grow her company, Skinny Girl, into an alcohol empire that she later sells for a cool $100 million. In the beginning, she was the underdog. But in later seasons, the other housewives kind of grovel at her feet. There's this sense that we're all a work in progress. Our station in life is not certain. We're all ripe for reinvention. And that's where the payoff lies for the show. And sticking with that journey from season one to season 12.
6: Real Housewives, I think, is is about forming a much more intimate connection with its audience than some of these other shows. You can pick up a standalone season of Survivor, and, and it gives you the same payoff as if you watched it for, you know, multiple seasons. But Real Housewives... Is really about I think forming this emotional bond and this emotional connection between the cast members and the audiences. That's why, you know, you feel so much pleasure in some ways when you watch The Real Housewives of New York City and you see Countess Luann like drunk trying to like get with a pirate because because we followed her since season one when she was, you know, like the arbiter of like of class and manners, right? But again, the show is compelling because they are radically transparent
0: we realize rich people aren't always happier than us.
6: But I also think a, a really strong component, at least in that early season, is making the viewer feel okay about their own lives. And what I mean by that is that you, can, you watch these shows and you're like, okay, well, they drive these crazy cars and they're able to buy their kids, you know, not one, but two or three BMWs by the ter- time they turn 16 or 17, but they kind of seem miserable. Viewers may have needed that
0: reassurance when the show premiered in 2008.
1: Over the past few weeks, many Americans have felt anxiety about their finances and their future. I understand their worry and their frustration. Major financial institutions have teetered on the edge of collapse. We are in the midst of a serious financial crisis. And the federal government is responding with decisive action.
0: It was an insane period a period that changed the lives of millions of Americans and even a few housewives. We'll get into that after the break. Both Real Housewives of Orange County and New York debuted during a time of tremendous economic upheaval in the United States. The housing bubble burst in 2007, a year after Orange County came out, And The Real Housewives of New York aired in the early days of the Great Recession of 2008. This was an insanely hard time for most Americans. Nearly 9 million jobs were lost. And due to the bubble bursting on the housing market, millions of homes went into foreclosure.
2: If you are watching us from the last home you'll ever own tonight, consider yourself lucky. Same goes for anyone ready to buy a slice of the American dream. But if you're among the millions trying to sell, this was a very bad day. The National Association of Realtors reported the worst month-to-month drop in existing home sales since they started keeping track in the late 90s.
0: While the New York ladies seemed to live in perfect insulated bubbles, it was the flip side in Orange County where you saw the impact of the housing bubble bursting play out on the show. A lot of the OC families were tied to real estate development in one way or another. They were on the upswing when people were building and buying houses. So when the housing crisis hit the country, it
6: hit California particularly hard. It was the state with the most subprime mortgages. You know, like 2006 Housewives, where they're all sort of, you know, living in this bubble um, and living high off the hog. And then just like two years later, we're going to have an economic collapse. And you see them selling their homes in short sales and, um, you know, unemployed. So in that way, the housewife shows are always really tapped into whatever happens to be uh, going on in the country at this time. There's a scene from one of those early
0: seasons of The O.C. that really hits on this for me. It's one of those scenes that more than a decade later still sticks with you. Here's Joanna again.
3: It's season five, which came out in late 2009, so likely filmed early that year.
0: And this is a scene with Lynn Curtin, and her tagline is legendary. It's not about how much money you have. It's about how good you look spending it. So Lynn is married to Frank. He has a construction business. And together, they have two teenage daughters.
3: They live in Laguna Beach. And this is when the show starts expanding beyond Coto de Casa.
0: Yeah. And one day, when it appears that Lynn and Frank aren't home, someone comes to their door and, I kid you not, delivers an eviction notice.
3: It's, like, so vivid in my mind. I see Raquel, her older daughter. You know, she just woke up. She's in pajamas or sweatpants or something. She's not wearing makeup. And she takes this notice through a crack in the door.
0: Oh my God, it was so depressing.
3: We have a clip. What
0: the Dude. Mom? Some guy just like comes in with like papers and says, you've been served, this is your eviction notice. Yeah. Lynn was like, there must be a mistake because Frank pays the bills. Yeah, it clearly caught
3: Lynn totally off guard. And she was like, I need to talk to Frank about this.
0: I mean, she wanted to know what was going on, and I don't blame her. It's like she knows there is something fishy happening.
3: Yeah, and they end up actually leaving the house to talk about it. I think to be away from the kids, they go to this park in their neighborhood. Why is this
5: happening to us? There's a
2: few things that I didn't explain, and I was afraid that you would get upset. This is way worse than me
5: getting upset right now.
2: You know, the situation... with with that house was I was in over my head to begin with. And I didn't do myself and my family any favors by taking that place in the first place. I screwed up.
0: So eventually we find out there was a $10,000 security deposit and he couldn't find the money to pay it.
3: Yeah, Lynn was like, you said there was no deposit on this house. And I'm watching this like, um, this is a really nice house in Laguna Beach. You think there's no security deposit? But I mean... I 100% feel for her. It's a heartbreaking scene.
0: I also think, though, the dialogue here is really key. Like, when Lynn is talking to him, she's pissed that he didn't tell her what was going on.
3: Yeah, and in a weird way, he kind of blames her. He says that he was trying to live up to this lifestyle that she wanted.
0: Which is so unfair because this pressure, it seems to be something he never articulated to her. So he's kind of gaslighting her. Totally. But at the same
3: time, it's kind of empowering to watch Lynn in this scene because she's not having it. She's angry and she's voicing that. I'm are not going to be a victim. You're not going to victimize me. I'm going to be strong. I'm not trying to
2: victimize you. Yeah, no, you I'm are. Like I'm like, like the
3: sh- little wife that
0: doesn't know anything. That and I'm not going to be that way That's anymore. And then he perfectly captures the moment they're in.
2: You live in this like little microcosm and it's not even
5: real. You don't know what's going on. And and you know what? The economy is bad right now. I am not the only one that's suffering. If there's work to be done, I'm the first guy out there to do it. In 20 years, I've never turned my back on you and those girls. I've been a
2: goddamn good father and I don't deserve that kind of bullshit.
5: All I ask is that you be honest with me, Frank.
3: I just don't wanna be lied to and kept in the dark. This is not
0: protecting me. I mean, this scene is a lot. It's not just what they're saying, it's the visual too. The park bench, out in public. There's no luxury or glam or hint of the lifestyle they claim to have. Here's Brian.
5: It's one of my favorite scenes ever because it's like, there's no way they made that shit up. And it was like, you're watching these people's lives, like, as it's happening, and it was fascinating to me.
0: That moment showed that Lynn, who was all about living large, wasn't immune to having the rug pulled out
5: from under her. And now she's out on her ass just like everybody else in the country.
6: Here's Raquel again. I think part of what was so impactful about that scene on the bench is that it's also the show bursting its own bubble because so much of the show has been about, I mean, it's in the title, right? Housewives. Um, And then to have the show kind of say, well, what does it mean to actually be a housewife when everything goes to crap? Sometimes housewives get evicted. Other times, they give birth and
0: sink into depression. Remember Peggy Tanos? She joined the Real Housewives of Orange County in season six. Hi, Mariah.
4: I can't see you guys, but that's fine. And I don't care if you see me because I had laser yesterday anyway, so.
0: <laughs> Peggy was only on the show for one season, but she made a splash. She's this gun-shooting blonde with fake boobs. Her daughters are named after European destinations, and she loves holistic medicine.
4: I say I'm a typical California girl. I've got the blonde hair, I love the beach, and I love my bling-bling, and I love my guns. (laughs) But don't judge this book by its cover.
0: But quickly, it was clear there was more to Peggy than meets the eye. One of the main reasons she did the show was to raise awareness around postpartum depression.
4: So when I had London, that's when the postpartum started. I remember calling my older sister and I said, I really need you to talk to me right now because I really feel like I could go upstairs and get the gun because I don't know if I can go through this again.
0: And her sharing that really resonated with viewers. Here's Andy Cohen remarking on it during the season six reunion.
2: Was it hard to talk about this on the show?
4: It was. I had a really tough time, and I still do. I mean, last week I had a week where I just was really depressed, and, you know, Tamara was so sweet. She kept calling me. She's like, I'm worried about you. I haven't heard from you, and I was just having a bad week. It's something really hard, and there's so many people that have it that don't know. I mean, all the people that emailed me just saying, you know, thank you, because they didn't realize what they were going through, and they realize now, wow, this could be postpartum.
2: You own guns, and you admitted on the show that you had thought of using a gun on yourself. What kind of feedback did you get?
4: I mean, you know, that's not something I'm proud of. It's not like I'd want to leave my family, but there were days, you know, that I just, I felt like so alone and so trapped in my house and my body. I just, I don't even know how to explain it unless you go through it. I just felt overwhelmed and I I just felt like, you know what, I'm doing my family a disservice being here. And you know, luckily I started seeing a therapist regularly and it's kind of a daily struggle.
0: The show aired in 2011 when her kids were little. But they're older now, and the show is out there for them to watch. One night, my daughter, London, I
4: wasn't home, and she called me and she goes, Mommy, can I talk to you? And I said, yeah, what's going on? And she said, well, did you want me? And I was like, what are you talking about? Of course I wanted you. And she goes, well, I went on the computer and I googled my name, and, and it there was a thing about, you know, you were saying that, you always wanted kids, but then when I was born, like, you weren't excited. And, and I was just so heartbroken. And I always said, no,
0: of course I wanted you. It takes courage to put your whole life out there. I mean, there's things parents try to protect their children from knowing,
6: at least while they're still young. But what that means for us as audiences is, you know, we— We don't just view them as characters. I mean, I I don't want to wax too poetic about it, but we really do get an opportunity to view them as complex human beings. And, you know, because of kind of what I would call like the productive messiness of the show, where, you know, clearly people have storylines, but there's all that stuff that like slips in.
0: And because the show plays out in the not-so-distant past, sometimes we're seeing them go through things we just went through, like five minutes ago. Like how we see COVID-19 as a storyline on season 15 of Orange County. Or the racial unrest around the country getting airtime on Atlanta.
6: One of the things that melodrama as a genre, as a mode does, is it's, it helps us deal with our feelings and our anxieties about social issues through interpersonal relationships. And that's exactly what we get on The Housewives. So any anxieties we're having about class, any anxieties we're having about marriage, any anxieties we're having about parenting, there is a digestible housewives storyline for that.
0: Housewives,
6: they're just like us.
0: We watch because we want to get a peek at how those rich, wild women live. We assume they lead charmed lives. But these housewives reveal so much about their failings and their problems. They feel like friends. They're actually messy like us. Maybe more than us. If The Real Housewives was about having it all and failing anyway, then keeping up with the Kardashians was about getting it all and leveraging it. Bethany Frankel knows her way around a branding opportunity, but let's be real. She's got no money on Kim K we the modern-day Brady Bunch with a kick.
3: Hey, 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 hey. Woo! I wish I wasn't adopted! We're so evil. There's a lot
5: of baggage that comes with us, but it's like Louis Vuitton baggage. You always want it. Get off of me, daddy!
0: Early Keeping Up with the Kardashians had the aesthetics of a home movie, just like an American family. But this time, we have followed the Kardashians for more than 13 years. All eight of them We've seen them grow, evolve, and build an empire of influence. That's next time on Spectacle. Spectacle is a production of Neon Hum Media. The show is hosted and co-produced by yours truly. Lead producer Joanna Clay reported and wrote this episode. Jonathan Hirsch and Shara Morris are our executive producers. It was edited by Catherine St. Louis. Our associate producer is Chloe Chobel. Our engineer is Scott Somerville. Thanks to Andrew Epen for his original music. Laura Bullard is our fact checker. And special thanks to Raquel Gates, Vikram Patel, and Shauna Shiro. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at spectacle_pod. pod. I'm Mariah Smith. See you next week.